Blog Talk Radio. I'm Don Henderson, and we've got a great group of guests tonight to talk sports. Chatty sports on a Wednesday night, as we always do. As we look around the board tonight, uh, 
course, Roy Cummings is always with us at the top of the show down in Tampa to talk about the Lightning, talk about the Rays, talk about the Bucks, and talk about almost anything else going on in the world of sports. Roger Hendler is Atlanta. He's ready to go. Our executive producer, Frank Carroll, is behind the mic and behind the uh, directions. Frank, have we got a dedication tonight? Yeah, Don, we do. Uh, tonight's program is dedicated to the wonderful people of the Blue Jeep Group. Now, uh, that's a group of people. You know, if you see them riding around, they'll have a blue American flag on the back of their Jeep. Uh, that's for the long blue line of law enforcement. Last Saturday, uh, groups from Sarasota, Manatee, uh, Pine Ellis, and Hillsborough County, and Polk County all met and went to the, the headquarters of the Sheriff's Department as well as the Police Department and the substations and dropped off bags of goodies. They were, there was a pair of clean socks in there, uh, a bottle of water, uh, several uh, uh, snacks, uh, crackers, and cookies. And then it, when they were done that, they all drove out, uh, drove up to, uh, got into a tandem, and drove over to Polk County to Sheriff Grady Judge Ranch, where they had their, their uh, annual uh, uh, cookout. And uh, he has a ranch that's set up uh, for uh, exactly that, for uh, jeeps to climb mountains, uh, go over uh, different uh, obstacle courses, and they have a great time. But the, the, the nice thing is these are people of every walk of life who are in those jeeps, and we want to say that we really appreciate everything they do for the men and women of law enforcement. All right, Frank, thank you very, very much. Let's get down to Tampa right off the top of the show. We always do. Roy Cummings is ready and roll. We've got so many topics to talk about tonight, it's going to be really difficult to spend any length of time with anyone. But I'd like to start off with the WBC because uh, so much has happened in the last three or four weeks, not only injury-wise to some of the major league players, but the way it's been received around the world. First of all, your comments on that. Yeah, it, um, it, is, it was an exceptional tournament. Um, it just goes to show that uh, – around the world, uh, the opportunity to prove that your country is best at baseball, um, that, uh, that desire uh, is burning deep inside a lot of baseball players from virtually every country that, that does play the game, uh, from obviously Japan all the way to Central America and obviously the United States and Canada. I mean, what an incredible tournament. There wasn't a single game that didn't have, you know, World Series-like atmosphere around it. Um, and can you, I mean, except for the 10, you know, the, the U S blowout, you know, in the semifinal for them, uh, every game was, was just, you know, crunch time and, and some of the matchups and the, the, the comebacks and, and everything. It was just, it was just absolutely incredible and special. And when you come down to arguably the two best players in the game today, uh, and arguably the best player ever to play the game, Shohei Otani against, uh, Mike Trout, it, it's a win-win no matter what happens. USA loses in the game because Otani strikes out Trout, but how, as a baseball fan, is that not a win-win? What an incredible – in a meaningful moment like that. You know, it, it's and just, teammates. What, what drama. Yes, obviously, clearly, teammates. Teammates, and, and, and you can make the argument. These are the two best players in the game today. Uh, can't yep. seem to get together and get to the playoffs in Major League Baseball, but – here they are in the final against each other, and 
Uh, Otani gets the better of him. You'd, how, who wouldn't want to see? Who doesn't want to see that matchup again in a meaningful game? It was just, it was really special. And um, look, Major League Baseball has got a, 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 a legitimately, a, literally, has a classic on its hands here, and they've got to make, they've got to figure out ways to make it better and get more of the better players involved um, somehow, some way. And it's going to be difficult to do, but. They have got a winning formula on their hands here, guys, and it's, uh, it, uh, people already can't wait for the next one. Roger, I'll go right to you for your comments. Well, I agree with, with Roy, and I'm sure you, uh, Don, you and Frank agree too, and it was very interesting. Uh, Trey Turner uh, was quoted as saying that to win that meant more to him than winning the World Series. Now, when you hear that, some people get all upset, okay? But I understand exactly what he was saying uh, because, uh, you know, you're doing it for the country. It's just like the Olympics. And uh, you just saw how much uh, representing uh, their countries meant to so many places, uh, so many players. And, hey, listen, uh, the uh, Edwin Diaz uh, injury is sad, okay? And, uh but it could have happened in spring training. Who knows? And two may uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but uh, the uh, it's it, right, exactly, Don. But you know, if those things happen. Those injuries happen, and uh, it was a spectacular tournament. And you're right, Roy. Baseball has an opportunity to really build something. You know, the NFL so far ahead in so many ways in marketing. But this was, gives Major League Baseball a real opportunity. I think one yeah, of the other interesting factors that both of you could comment on is that uh, when the end result came in, now you have to remember that last night's game was televised in Japan at 8 o'clock in the morning. But the results of the TV, they talked of over 99 million more people watched this final, and they're going to replay it tonight in Japan. Ninety over ninety nine million people watched that final game, Roy. Amazing, yeah, yeah. It, it really is amazing. I mean, that is absolutely remarkable. Um, it's you know, and and what's interesting is you know what Shohei Otani uh, had a speech before the game that, that really kind of put it all in perspective for the, for Japan, basically telling his teammates on the Japanese team, look, we we revere the, the United States players we we want to be in the united states we want to be in major league baseball these are the guys we look up to but tonight we're on the same level with them and we've got to go out and prove to them that that we're just as good as they are if not better and uh what a speech he gave and i think it inspired everybody and obviously it's got the whole country of japan just buzzing um which is a great thing for the game it's just a great thing i mean and it's to me it's it's just uh, it's just more another example of how special this tournament is, and you know, it is unfortunate that Jose Altuve is going to miss some some time, and that Edwin Diaz is going to miss uh, most of the season, all of the season with the injuries. But in in the case of Edwin Diaz in particular, um, obviously Altuve could have been hurt, hurt at any point, but with Edwin Diaz, you know, he was hurt celebrating, and while we kind of look at that and can can you know deride it a little bit and say. Well, maybe you shouldn't. It just goes to show you that's how much this, these games do mean to these guys. The fact mm-hmm. that in, in, a, in a quarterfinal game, Edwin Diaz ends up, you know, hurting his knee, celebrating a, a, a strikeout uh, to end the game. 
it's it's horribly unfortunate, but it, again, it just goes to show you that's how much it means to these guys. And I got to say this, guys, you know, I don't think the NFL can't do this because it, there's not enough players from other countries, but other sports can. You know, basketball could do it. The NHL, which has kind of toyed with these kind of tournaments and and really never been all in on the Olympics as well, this has got to prove to to the NHL in particular, I think, that this needs to be done. You need to have a hockey classic like this. You know, they had, they've had a couple in the past. It didn't catch on for some reason. or the, You know, it's always a, a little bit about when do we play it. That's always the issue. Um, you know, they, they're, they've kind of, you know, been concerned about the Olympics. But I think this is how you capture people because this is what matters. You know, this – so many players care about this. And, yeah, I get what Trey Turner says. Um, it's one thing to win a World Series, but when you're doing it for your country and the opportunity to play against the best from all the other countries, and you you suddenly, I mean, you talk about an all-star game. That's what this is. Every game was like, yeah. every game was like an all-star game that mattered. It was just, it was, it was just exceptional in every way. Well, absolutely. Well, Bill Matthews is going to join us the next half hour, eight o'clock. And Bill, of course, has been the uh, official scorer at the Trump for so many years we can't count that, but he was also the official scorer for MLB, one of the great coaches around the area here in the state of Florida. And we're going to have a lot of chance to see what his impressions were uh, of the WBC and how things came out there. We'll switch gears for a minute, uh, go to football. Uh, Press conference yesterday, a new quarterback in town. Uh, Mayfield's ready to go. Quarterback ready was awful last year. Three teams, four teams all sold. Number one draft choice a number of years ago. Uh, Roger, what do you think? Well, the uh, I, same thing here, okay? Mariota's the new quarterback uh, for uh, for the Falcons. So, uh, no, I'm sorry. He went to the, uh, to the Eagles. But Joey, the, back the Falcons, up. He's back up quarterback to the Eagles. Yeah, but the uh, Falcons are in the same situation. And, uh, you know, and the uh, – and what they are saying is that uh, the uh, young man that they re- they uh, drafted a couple of years ago, they're really going to put their uh, uh, their eggs in that in his basket uh, to ride with them. So we'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know Baker Mayfield. I don't know. I mean, uh, you're right, Don. He had a lot of uh, different clubs last year, and uh, he does a great commercial uh, with his wife. I'll say that. Well, he did a lot of great commercials in Cleveland. It didn't help very much, but he had a, had a good look at the stadium a number of times. He'd been in every part of the stadium during his commercials. Right. Roy, what do you think about him coming in and uh, being as aggressive at the press conference yesterday as he was? Well, I, I like it. Uh, look, there's no question that Baker Mayfield has some, you know, has some growing up to do. He's, he's got he's got to mature a little bit. Uh, he's got to mature into a into a leader more than anything, and, and understand what the role of the quarterback really is on a football team where you don't have a whole lot of talent. Um, you know, he might have missed that opportunity in uh, in Cleveland a little bit. But I'll say this, guys: he's a Heisman Trophy winner who had an exceptional rookie season, and he's still the last quarterback to take the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs. Um, I don't have a problem with anybody gambling on this guy, especially for the price that the Bucks are paying. It's $4 million and change, and, if he, and he can double that through some incentives. So the incentive is there. Um, if Baker Mayfield, with what he's been through the last two years, you know, in essence being replaced by Deshaun Watson, of all people, um, and I'm not talking about talent-wise. I'm talking about 
you know, moral character, et cetera, et cetera. If you get replaced by that guy, and look, should we be surprised um, that the Browns screwed up a quarterback? Let's not be surprised by that. Baker Mayfield might be one of the best quarterbacks in the game today if he'd have gone to New England or, or New Orleans or uh, maybe even spent a year under John Gruden, for, you know, for all we know. Um, if he'd have gone almost anywhere else, he probably would have been a lot better off. Um, now he's got a chance uh, uh, under a, a, you know, what, what is a, a very respected for now quarterbacks coach and Dave Canales uh, here in Tampa. Uh, the guy who helped bring uh, uh, bring back a quarterback in Seattle last year. Um, so, you know, let's see how it goes. Um, again, for the price the Bucks are paying, there's not much to be lost here. It's on uh, Baker Mayfield to, to turn this into a victory for himself and resurrect his career. Uh, I think he's got a good chance of doing it, and I'm anxious to see him do it. Roger? Well, with the Falcons, uh, what I was thinking of was Taylor Heineke was signed uh, – from uh, D.C., from uh, the Commodores, or the Commanders, okay? I keep, I got to stop myself when I think about Redskins. But, uh, yeah, that's who the Falcons got. But uh, I I think it's also amazing how, how many uh, different quarterbacks uh, moved around. And uh, But you're right, Roy, uh, as far as uh, Mayfield is concerned about the, 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 uh, the Deshaun Watson. Uh, the uh, you know what are you going to do? It's it's in the rearview mirror. You got to move forward, right? Yeah, I believe. Roy, as we say with football, momentarily, are you a little bit surprised by the number of still very very qualified, outstanding players that are available that have not been picked up yet? Uh, free agents that uh, are still out there waiting to see what's going to happen. And of course, the biggest uh, controversy was uh, O.J. Beckham, of course, which he always is. He tried to sell the teams last year, the Giants and the Cowboys and all, that he was restored and healthy. It didn't work. Uh, he went through the uh, <clears throat> season uh, and still didn't work. And now he, first of all, said he was, he, I shouldn't say that, he was reported as saying he won $20 million. And they, they're saying that if he can get $4 million in a contract, he's going to be lucky. What do you think? Yeah, I'm uh... – I am a little surprised by that, but I think, again, and we've talked about this, guys, over I think each of the last two weeks uh, since free agency started, uh, I think there's, I wouldn't say it's collusion, but I think there's a there's a, uh, a correction going on in a lot you know, of players the out there. Scale. Exactly. And, and, and look, Baker Mayfield, the former number one pick, $4 million, $8 million if he can get some incentives. I think that's the kind of deal that people are looking at. If Odell Beckham can only get a 4 or $5 million contract, well, it's it's probably it's not based on you know, this is a what have you done for me lately kind of league, um, and lately not not what not not what did you do two years ago, or three years ago? It's you know what is what can you really do for us going forward? I think a lot of teams have realized that in free agency you 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 overpay for past performance, and if you're fortunate enough, you'll get something similar to that past performance, and and the contract will will bear out, but far too often, guys, and we all know this, far too often, those players don't measure up to the contract. They seldom have ever do, and I think it's gotten a little bit out of hand. And, look, I'm, I am, again, I've said it before, uh, go out and get all the money you can. I, it, it's there. you got a salary cap. You know, you, you play to it. Uh, you know, you got to distribute it in some form or fashion. So I don't begrudge anyone getting their money, but 
I think the league realizes that they've been a little, they've been a little bit too quick to maybe pay some guys who haven't necessarily been worthy of the number that they've been given. Um, again, uh, because you're paying so much for past performance as opposed to future uh, uh, potential. And, and look, I think you're smarter to put the money into uh, development and, uh, and developing your own players and keeping them. Uh, and I think that's what teams are looking more and more to do. At least that's what I think they're looking to do right now. I think they're trying to correct the market a little bit. Roger, Billy Wardell is going to be with us the uh, 8.30 to 9 uh, segment of the program. Uh, but before we switch gears again, uh, maybe your comment on some of the ones that are out there are still free agents and some of the ones that were signed. Well, the, uh, the you know, the Eagles uh, signed uh, several of uh, their uh, defensive uh, linemen, Brandon Graham and, and – uh, uh, and uh, Jason Kelsey's coming back, still a great performer. But I heard a great point, and I think it was Hugh Douglas that made it on uh, their show. He's in Philadelphia now. Uh, and he blames the agents for this situation because the uh, they had an opportunity. He feels that a lot of these players had an opportunity to get a pretty good uh, payout. Uh, and uh, the agents, they want to go for more money. Well, now there's only so much money in the pot, and that's why you have a number of these players that are still available, and they're not going to get what they thought or what the agents thought they were going to get because, like you said, Roy, there's an adjustment that's coming, and it has come. But I, I thought that was a great point. You know, some of these agents – Oh, they just they want to get that big payday themselves, but they're really not taking into consideration the big picture. Well, Roy, let's uh, switch again. We'll come back to maybe come back to football a little later on in this half hour. But uh, the old Valley game is in business. Uh, the commissioner of the uh, Major League Baseball, Mr. Manfred, has decided to go on business with the gamblers again. Major League Baseball makes their deal with the casinos. And they're going to televise all minor league baseball games this year. You have to pay $26 for the season. But they're taking over all the expense. And uh, now you can't bet on the minor league games, but they're going to be broadcasting all the minor league games. They're back in cahoots with another gambling outfit. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what's in, what's in it for the, for the gambling outfits, to be honest. I mean, if you can't bet on the games, well, then why are they involved? What's what's their payoff? I, mean, I don't quite get it. I'm missing something here. But uh, look, um, you know, look, it's it's something that's been going on anyway. I mean, you know, we're, look, we're all in a in a in a basketball pool. And if you've ever read about the you know the great basketball college basketball scandals of the '50s, you know that players were being paid off. And uh, maybe maybe uh, bringing that enemy closer to you is the best way to deal with it. Uh, let people bet on the games. They're going to do it anyway. Um, you just got to make sure you police your own uh, your own backyard. Make sure these players aren't on the take in some way. But look, I <laughs> if it's if if it's a way that I hope the money that Major League Baseball is getting out of this deal, I hope a lot of it is going to minor league baseball and uh, to to help those guys and maybe give them a little bit more money because uh, it's, a, it's a tough life, guys. I mean, uh, look, we'd all. I, I, we'd all give up what, what, what we've done our, all our lives probably for the opportunity to, to play pro baseball at some point. Um, but believe me, guys, I lived that life for uh, for several years and, uh, you know, w- was involved in it firsthand. And 
and it's it's a tough life. And so I hope whatever Major League Baseball has done here, uh, I hope there's some payoff for the minor league players because they deserve it. Roger? Well, it's the old uh, song, Roy, on the road again. And uh, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is. But uh, I love it. I, I uh, uh, When I was living in Pennsylvania, I was up to see the Reading uh, Fighting Phils. I went a number of nights up to uh, Allentown, which was like a, over an hour ride, to see the Iron Pigs. And uh, I know in New Jersey, I uh, saw the team up there, Don, that's uh, in Raritan. You know, uh, used to be a TD Bank uh, field right there next to the train station. And on a beautiful night, nothing like seeing that commuter train in center field dropping people off. And so I, I love minor league baseball. And the only thing I can see that they could, uh, uh, the casinos could get out of it is the advertising. And okay. uh, if they're going to have the exclusive on, uh, on TV, on the uh, games, that's it. Well, Roy. First of all, thank you very much. We touched on a, a number of topics. We had more to go, but unfortunately we've run out of time. Bill's ready to go with us. And as always, thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, as always. Have, have a great week, Roy. Take care. Thank you, Roger. Take, take care, guys. Have a great week, everybody. Bill Matthews, said you go on the line right now. And, uh, Bill, I said at the top of the show we were so happy to have you. Well, this particular night, because, number one, you've been the official scorer at the Trump for so long and been involved in it, been coaching baseball for a lifetime, and also you were a uh, official scorer for the MLB. First of all, uh, some of your thoughts uh, about the WBC and, and uh, what happened there. Hi, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be back. I've, uh, Great to uh, be I with you, Bill. With you guys. Yeah, I, I love, uh, love shooting the breeze with you guys. Uh, my, my observations, 225,000 people attended the seven games that I scored. I had the final three rounds at, at uh, Moan Depot Park. Um, it was by far and away. Now, I've coached in Europe. I've, I've coached teams to national tournaments, European tournaments, and it's always loud, but there's 5,000 people. There were 37,000 fans screaming their heads off. It's an open-air press box. And, you know, in my job, every so often it's nice to get a little quiet. There was no quiet. You know, it was it was, it was minute after minute after minute of fans just going absolutely crazy. Um, it, was, it was amazing. Most amazing environment I've ever been in in 40-plus years of baseball. Um, Without a doubt, there's 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 no question. I was I was fortunate to be able to get a chance to do this, and uh, now that I've, I'm looking back on it, I'm worn out. Um, the, the the mental intensity that it takes to focus on all those games and not miss miss a pitch, and you get back to the hotel at 1 a.m. and you can't close your eyes because your body's still looking at pitches, and you go to sleep at 2:30, and then you wake up at 7 and work out and I, I hung out with the umpires for breakfast and lunch every day just to kind of get their opinions. And, um, it was an amazing experience. I, I don't have any, any other way to say it. Um, the, the crowd noise was just astronomical. It's an open air press box. Uh, so everything that was going on outside was coming inside and, uh, 
it was just fascinating. I, I, I am, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm lucky to have done it, and uh, man, I'd go back and do it again tomorrow. But I just need to get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I said to, to Roy Cummings in the first half hour that uh, they're re-showing the final game in Japan because it was on at eight o'clock in the morning over there, whereas it was on at the average early evening here in the United States, and everybody had a chance to see. Uh, what happened at the end of the game and, and the way the two teammates had to play against each other. Uh, but the most important thing was that even with the game at 8 o'clock in the morning in Japan, they were talking about over 99 million people uh, watching that final game uh, around the world. <laughs> Not, uh, and obviously in Japan, 48% of the total population uh, watched that game. So uh, your, your uh, uh, report on what happened in the games that you officiated from a standpoint of being the official scorer, stand true. Roy, or Roger, go ahead. Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, Bill, the, uh, it really was something, and uh, we, ha- we forget about how many Americans are in uh, <laughs> Japan. And uh, it was uh, interesting, a, uh, a radio show, morning show, that uh, he just retired, uh, Angelo Cataldi, there was a woman that used to call in every week uh, lived in Japan, and she would be watching every Eagles game. That, that never uh, <laughs> depended, didn't make any difference whether it was two o'clock in the morning. So if it's eight a.m. in Japan, you're going to get ninety-nine million people that are going to watch that game, no doubt about it. But uh, I'll tell you, it, it really was. We talked about it, Bill. It, it was really like the the World Cup you know, in soccer. I mean, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, what do you think that baseball needs to do now to, to take this to the next plateau, Bill? You know, that, that, that's a really good question. Um, I think, and, and I'm speculating, I, I think the players' union had a lot to do with who went and who didn't go. Mm. I think pitchers were very cautious in going, Um I don't think we brought the best arms that we could have brought. It's kind of a controversial statement, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Um, You're not I think I've heard that from, from a number of people, right? Yeah. And I think, um, I think we need to understand that we can't assume that we are the best because the Japanese, when you watch them, for example, when you watch them in pregame, they're so disciplined in what they do with the with the balls to the to the BP buckets, where they throw them, what they do with um, with balls. Every outfielder who feels a ball in the air or on the ground throws it with a purpose to second base, just like somebody's tagging up. Everybody does it, and it's it's really a disciplined approach to the game. Now, is it a better approach than what we have? I mean, you know, who knows? But, I mean, they, they won the game, but they won the game because they were selective at the plate because they had the opportunity to swing at pitches that we swung and missed. You know, they swung and missed strikes. They didn't swing and miss bad pitches. They swung and missed mm-hmm. strikes. So it's a it's a whole different approach to the game, and uh, it was really fascinating to watch it take place because in my experience in Europe coaching European teams, I've only been in Eastern Europe. I've not been in Asia, and it's uh, it's really eye-opening when you watch their approach to the game. They take it very, very seriously. Bill, one of the things that I really miss, uh, and I've been, I think, to eight or nine spring training games so far this year, and 
course, it carries back to the regular season as well. Uh, but I think the fans miss a lot of opportunities because you used to be able to come and see batting practice. You used to be able to come in and see uh, just what you're talking about. Everybody manned their position. They threw the ball second base. They threw it to third. They hit the cutoff band. They threw it to the plate. Everybody uh, went through the rotation that we went through for a 1,000 years. And now we don't have that anymore. And I think uh, a lot of people that turn out for spring training games, I don't know what they do at Steinbrenner Field or some of the others, but here uh, you don't have any uh, opportunity. When you come to the game, you just see the game. You, you don't right. see any of the players warming up or anything. You see them running in the outfield a little bit. Uh, I think uh, I think they miss a lot by that myself. Well, I, I jumped in. We had a shuttle system with buses from the hotel that MLB employees were staying at to the park. I jumped on the 3 o'clock bus every day, so I was at the park by 3.20, and home BP started at uh, at, at 4 o'clock. Um, I, I, I do that because I want to watch how teams react. I want to watch how the playing surface plays. I want to watch. One thing, I, one thing I discovered was the surface at Lone Depot is much more bouncy than the surface at the Trop. And... Um, Lindor hit a ball to center field in the first game uh, that he played in, and the ball scooted by the center fielder. And I scored uh, an error. I, it was a single and a three-base error. Well, some people above my head didn't agree with that, but I felt as though it was a ball that, though it wasn't touched, it was very playable had he known the kind of surface he was playing on. And the players, oddly enough, agreed with me, which doesn't always happen. But they, <laughs> but they felt it was a, they felt it was a good decision. So, I think the, uh, I think what, what, what you're saying about going and watching games, if you go early and you absorb the ambiance and you, you pay attention to what's going on, you pay attention to guys taking ground balls. You know, is it soft? Is the field a little softer to the glove hand side than it is to the backhand side of each position? I mean, you know, you pay attention to that, and it makes you go, wow, this park is really different. And I hope they pay attention. Well, we didn't, as was exposed by the Lindor uh, single with a three-base error. It was, the, the, those are the kind of things that we, we, we have to pay attention to. And that's why you need to go to the park and you enjoy the game and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's um, – it's a fascinating difference between parks and a fascinating difference between teams. And that's what showed today, uh, yesterday was the, ja- the, the Japanese team was much more prepared for that game than we were. Roger? Well, there's no doubt about it, Bill. You know, I used to love to go and uh, still do uh, to go out and watch batting practice and and uh, see the way they're checking the uh, field. And I've been seeing a lot of high school games. And it was Roger, interesting. Roger, we used to stand around the batting cage. I mean, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, I know you can't. I know. Not, no standing by the dugout. But I'll tell you, you, you can watch close in when you're in a high school game. And it was yeah. interesting. Just what you were saying, Bill, last night I saw that in a uh, JV game. And they, there was an error. And yet, he never really uh, touched the ball. But, uh, you know, I looked at it, and, I'm, and I said to uh, my friend, I said, he should have charged the ball. And that's why I think it was an error. You know, mm-hmm. he let the ball play him. 
instead sure. of him playing the ball. And uh, it was a, a, a shortstop, you know, it was a, a grounder. So, uh, but it was interesting, just what you were saying. And that, I saw that last night, but you were, I'll tell you, you, you know, you were in the college uh, ranks for many, many years. And it's so fun to watch some of these young high school players uh, developing. And uh, I, I'm happy as can be. So, well, you know, it's it's um, it's a different game at the college level because of aluminum bats. It's a lot mm-hmm. quicker pace. Things happen a lot at a lot uh, a, a much quicker uh, rate than they do at the, in the pro game. You know, somebody said that uh, the last two games of the WBC were the most wa- most watched baseball games in the history of Major League Baseball. Right. That's a little staggering. I mean, when, when you're sitting in my seat and you're watching the game and there's 37,000 fans in the park and there's at least 40 million people watching on TV and then you find out that it's the most watched game on you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of what. There's a lot of what ifs that run through your mind. What if there's a dribbler? What if there's a, you know, a kind of a short hop? What if there's, and uh, you know, you just got to stay focused. You got to stay calm, and you got to make, uh, got to make good decisions. It was, it was the greatest experience I've ever had as a scorer, but it was also the most stressful by by far because you just don't know what's going to happen, and you have to be ready for everything. It's it's a pretty fascinating job. Really is. The last time, last time you were on with us, we talked about the rule changes and uh, specifically the clock. Uh, there's been a great opportunity now for uh, most of the teams that played at least the 14, 15 uh, exhibition games uh, all across Florida and Arizona and California. And uh, you had some thoughts on that. And, and I saw where uh, Boone said yesterday that. Uh, uh, he was very, very happy with the clock. He thought there may be some minor adjustments before the season started. Uh, you sit on all the meetings. You're there. You know what's going on. Uh, do you think there'll be any adjustments, or do you think they'll stay with the two minutes and the 15 seconds and the rules are using right now with the clock? I think they're going to change. I think um, I think they're going to add time to the clock, maybe five seconds. Um, I think so it's instead going of 15, be... 20. Yeah, 20 and 25. Um, I think that's going to be done in order to accommodate uh, some of the question marks that are still up in the air as to what would happen if somebody has to rush into their delivery and, you know, the players union gets involved and there's tens of millions of dollars involved. So, yeah, I think there's going to be some adjustments made. I don't know what they're going to be, but I think – I, 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 I think there's going to be five seconds maybe added. That, that would make sense. Well, you've got to do, do it before the season starts, right? I'm sorry, say that again? They have I'll to say. do it before the season starts. Oh, sure. Sure. Yes, they will. Yep. Roger? Yep. Bill, what do, what do you think will happen when you get to the postseason? And we've talked about this uh, every week, Don, Frank, and I, Roy, the, when you, you know when you get in that postseason, when you get the networks, you're talking about like three, four, five minutes of commercials. It seems like at least to a two to three, and that can change everything, can't it? Yeah, I think, and this is pure speculation on my part. But if the game's only going two twenty, and other games last year were going three hours. 
you're losing concession money and you're losing TV money on commercials. So you end up at a net loss, and that's that's not really a good thing in terms of the eyes of the people who are making those decisions. Um, I think the players want to get rid of the runner at second base for the playoffs. I think everything else is going to remain the same. Mm. The other factor there, Bill, and, and uh, I thought it was sort of interesting, uh, in, in almost every game that I have seen, you know, including yesterday, it was 5-2 at the bottom of the seventh inning here at Ed Smith. And uh, almost every game that I've seen, we're into the late bottom of the sixth or top of the seventh in less than an, an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, to me, I think I think it's terrific. I think, I think it absolutely makes the game so much more interesting. The players are in and out on the field. Everybody's ready to go. I think it even has made a, a dramatic difference in – spring changing and the fact that mentally they're there and they're into the game. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, they're not spending 30, uh, the three minutes, four minutes, just walking around looking at each other. I, I think it's been I, terrific. I agree a hundred percent, but <clears throat> you think about the revenue that's being lost by shutting concession stands down and losing two and a half minutes of commercials per game each night at the major league level. When you start doing the math, that's a lot of money being lost, a lot of revenue that's not made. Well, let me interrupt for just a second because I think Roy <laughs> Cummings made a great move, a great uh, comment. Uh, Roger heard it as well. Two weeks ago we talked about this at great length. And he said he thinks what baseball may do is go back to what they're doing now with football and basketball and hockey, go to the split screen, still go to the two minutes between innings, but give the commercials an opportunity to get just as much commercial time in by going to uh, split screens. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. It's mm-hmm. the uh, it's the best it's the best of both worlds. It appeases yeah. the need, uh, and that for, way they uh, can stay at the two minute mark. Sure, sure, sure. I think it's a great idea. Bill, I don't know. Uh, you know, you're down down there in the Tampa area, Valley Sports and Valley Sports Southeast. They do that on the Braves games. Do they do that on uh, on any of the Rays games? No, not yet. No, okay. The Braves are doing nope. it. They are doing it nope. on the Braves games. Just with you know, while, 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 while we're while we're talking about what the Rays do, I, I have to uh, kind of put this in here at, at this point in time, guys. You know, we lost a great man here in Tampa Bay with uh, Dave Wills passing. He was a big man with a big, big, big personality and. Uh, he did a lot for the folks in the Tampa Bay area in terms of keeping people attuned to baseball and keeping their interest level high. And he was a joy to listen to. And uh, I think everybody needs to recognize the fact that we in Tampa Bay and everybody in baseball lost a great man with Dave's passing. Mm-hmm. No question about that. We did a little uh, documentary on it uh, last weekend from uh, Ed Smith Stadium. Uh, of course, he passed away at Dudley Game and passed away. Uh, after he done the game and going home on Sunday night and, and passed away. And he was here for, what, I think 18 years. He was in Chicago right. for a number right. of years with the White Sox prior to coming to Tampa. But he was the heart and soul of radio in Tampa, Florida. He sure was. He was a good man. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for Neil. It's an awkward position to have to be uh, moved into that slot. But Neil Solons is a good man, and he's a very compassionate man, and he's a very uh, understanding man, and 
he's going to be a great partner for Andy. It's, uh, it, it's tough shoes to fill, but someone has to do it because, you know, baseball goes on and we all love and miss Dave, but at the same time, uh, I think Neil's going to do a great job. You know, what really surprised me before I get Roger back in here was that uh, <laughs> I really thought that, uh, you know, down through the years, uh, Harry Callis, of course, I saw his son go come in and play, go to WFAN and work some games with the New York Mets. He came in and did prison in Philadelphia. Uh, and then he came down here. He loved living in Clearwater, and he lived here year-round. I really thought he was going to step in and, and uh, be part of the broadcast team, but he never did until he went down to Houston a couple of years ago. And, of course, he walked into a championship organization and a World Series championship a couple of years in a row. So a uh, great move for him. But I really thought he was going to – I thought he was going to – you know, get into the radio business, see radio and TV uh, in Tampa, but he, he he never really did except uh, between innings and things like that. He never did play-by-play that I know of. No, he didn't, and I I don't have the reasoning behind that. I mean, I I've got I've got the proverbial radio face, so I'm not the guy to talk to about uh, about TV. But <laughs> I, Todd, Todd Todd did an amazing job with. Uh, his preparedness, I think, is the best way to, to say what he did. He was always on top of his game, and he's been great with Houston. Um, he has done an amazing job just picking up where, uh, oddly enough, you know, Dwayne Stats was with Houston. Now Todd's with Houston, so there's uh, there's a lot of ties between Tampa Bay and, uh, and Houston in the broadcast. Yeah. Well, season, Harry was sorry, but he came from, um, from uh, Houston. Uh, Hawaii. Houston before he came into Philadelphia. Yeah. He was there with Bill Giles. As as yeah. much as baseball spreads out around the globe, it's still a small small sphere. It's small family. You're right, because yep. Chip Carey uh, went to St. Louis to the Cardinals this year after uh, a long uh, a term with the Braves and his father uh, was with the Braves, you know, for years before that. And, uh, but you're right. It, it really is. And, you know, the one thing that's tough is in anything, we talk about it in coaching, uh, uh, you know, uh, at uh, Villanova, you know, they had, they did not have a good season with, you know, Jay Wright uh, retired, went to television, you know, Bill, you don't want to be the guy to replace the legend. You want to be the guy to replace the guy that replaced the guy. <laughs> I don't think you want to be Rick Pitino right now either, but that that's another story, another conversation for another day. Right? That's right. Yeah, we'll hold, we'll hold back on that one for tonight. Bill, thank you very, very much. Congratulations on your uh, terrific you. performance in, in the World Baseball Tournament and uh, and, and, and really how impressed you were with what happened and being the official scorer there as well. So thank you very, very much. And talk about the new rules. Billy Wardell is in Philadelphia right now. Billy, one of the great people at Ben Sports, and certainly one of the great people in Philadelphia. He's been there a long, long time doing sports. He went to San Diego, came back to Philadelphia, has worked with Merle Reese for over 25 years on WIP doing Eagle games. Bill, welcome to the show again, and uh, a couple of thoughts uh, on, on the World Baseball Championship. What do you think? I thought it was very exciting, Don. And the one thing I'd like to see happen, the, the all-star game in baseball has really lost its luster. So how about right. taking 10 days off and having the World Baseball Classic play during the all-star break? 
I think that would really, really uh, be a, a very interesting time of the year to have it. You have no competition with basketball, hockey, or football. And you'd, you'd be center, front and center if you played it, at, say, a, tenor, a, a seven to ten day series. You agree or disagree? Well, I listen, agree. I think you got to find the right time. And it's uh, very, I think it's very, very difficult to play it right uh, at the beginning of spring training because, uh, as was made that point by so especially Buck Showalter, talking about his pitchers, he, he, your pitchers aren't ready to pitch. And as Bill Matthews said, who uh, was the official scorer for the uh, tournament, uh, you know, you don't bring your best pitchers there necessarily because, hey, it's early spring training. They're not ready to go yet. So I, I would no. I would agree to find another time to do it, but whether they can do it or not, I don't know. Roger? Well, I agree with Bill. I think uh, that would be perfect in the, in the middle of the uh, season to take uh, 10 days because I've also heard, well, what about at the end of the season? Wait a minute. You're going to do it at the end of the season. You're talking about being right in the middle of the – now when you get into uh, late October, November, you're in the middle of the NFL season or close to the middle. And, and, you know, you wouldn't want to compete with the NFL, would you, Bill? Well, the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL, all going at the same time. So you're you're dealing with that. So I think right in the middle of the season at the All-Star break would be a perfect time uh, to ramp it up. I think you could get it all done in 10 to 12 days. No problem at all. Bill, let's talk a couple things in Philadelphia. First of all, let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles because – they have made some changes. Uh, they had to make some changes because of the cap. Uh, they've moved people. They've traded. They've gotten people. Uh, give us an update on the Eagles and where they stand in your mind. Well, again, the one thing that I'm concerned about, they're not getting younger. They let a yeah. lot of their younger players go to, into free agency and sign with other clubs. I mean, bringing Darius Slayback, who's 32 years old, to be 33 at the end of the year. Bradbury's fast approaching. A 30. Fletcher Cox is 32 years old. Brandon Graham's 35. Look, obviously they're all in for this year. They want to win it all. They think the window of opportunity, because Don and, and Roger, if you look at realistically, if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, which is going to most likely happen, there's only one quarterback, elite quarterback in the National Football League, and that is Jalen Hurts. Don't give me Derek Carr. Don't give me Dak Prescott. They're all in for this year, all right? Now, if if this does not fare well where they get to the Super Bowl again and this team is aging, you've got real problems because, again, they only have six draft picks in the upcoming season. Now, next season, they'll get a number of picks. I think they'll have 11 draft picks so they can reload they don't want to use the word rebuild, but I certainly think that the Eagles are all in for this year because the NFC is not the conference the AFC is. You have Patrick Mahomes. You have you have Josh Allen. You have Joe Burrow. You have Tua if he can stay healthy. You've got better quarterback play in the AFC, where in the NFC – you have one elite quarterback. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but that's the way I feel. I do agree with you 100%. And the other thing I is mean. we talked about, surprisingly, the number of free agents that are still out there and available that have not been signed, uh, 
Uh, we talk about O.J. Beckham because he gets all the publicity. And uh, the last I saw in the New York Post yesterday, they said he'd be lucky to get $4 million in a one-year contract because he tried to sell himself too early last year to Dallas and, and to the Giants that he was healthy, and he wasn't. So they say he's got to have a really tough – but on the other side, there are at least nine or ten really quality free agents out there that still have not been signed, Billy. You're absolutely right, Lad. You mentioned Beckham, Bobby Wagner. There's a number of guys still out there waiting for employment. Now, when the dust settles, clubs will probably be very, very reluctant to sign anybody right now until after the draft for a big, big deal. And I agree with you with Beckham. He's 30 years old. He's coming off a knee injury. Yeah, he looks good in these uh, workouts and shorts, but th- that, it, nobody's hitting him. So if he gets 4 or $5 million on the ground and kisses it, because right now, in my opinion, his value is not as high. Because, again, this upcoming draft has a number of young wide receivers. Do you want to go with a young wide receiver or do you want to go with a, an older guy? And you can't depend on Beckham holding up for a 17-game schedule. That's the big dilemma teams are faced with. Roger? Well, I, I was saying earlier, Bill, that uh, I, I I don't know if it was Hugh Douglas or not, but I heard uh, you know one former player make the statement that he blames the agents for uh, so many uh, for good players uh, still available in free agency because he said you got to go and get it done quickly because then the teams are going to wait around just like you said to see what they do in the draft and then fill in after that. And uh, uh, to me, it makes sense. You know, you got to go quick. You have to be firing the trigger right away. Uh, If you're going to wait and wait and wait, that's not going to happen. All right? Right. Uh, You have to be ready to go. Look at Detroit. Uh, They're they're all in. Uh, San Francisco had their eyes on Hargrave, the Eagles defensive tackle. Bingo, they signed them. I mean, they came off the board very, very quickly. And I agree with you, Douglas. A lot of times teams or or agents overvalue their player, all right? Right. Uh, And, again, I know the salary cap's gone up $18 And a lot of these guys want to capitalize on that. The one thing you have to watch out for going forward, because you saw the Lamar Jackson turn down, Three years, $133 million. $133 million guaranteed. Yeah. Jalen Hurts wants guaranteed money. What does Joe Burrow want guaranteed money? What will Justin Herbert command guaranteed money? That's the key number, the guaranteed money. Remember, we saw it a few years ago in Minnesota when Kirk Cousins got his contract for three years, for $88 million, all guaranteed. Guaranteed. So that's the yep. key number, guaranteed contract. Billy, we've got yep. so many things to talk about in such a short time. Uh, Bryce Harper, let's switch over to baseball right now. Coming to the end of spring training, you've had a chance to see uh, most, of the, uh, most of the teams play a number. We're probably in the uh, 14 area, 14, 15 games of exhibition baseball. Uh, but let's start with Bryce Harper. They made a decision with him uh, for 60 days. Well, let me tell you something, Don. All signs point to Harper being ready maybe by late May. 
He's starting mm-hmm. to swing the bat. He, you know, I don't think they'll have him play the outfield until August or September. But I, I think that the Phillies are very optimistic about the rehab of Bryce Harper. And you know a guy like Bryce Harper doesn't want to sit on the bench and wait and wait and wait. But I think putting him on the 60-day disabled list makes a lot of sense because he'll be ready by the middle of uh, May or late May, and they just activate him. So, I mean, I'm excited about Bryce Harper. The guy that I'm very concerned with is Castellanos. You and me both. has to carry the part of the load with Harper being out of the lineup. I mean, I know they added Trey Turner. Turner. They have Kyle Schwarber. They have Real Muto. But they got to get production out of Castellanos. They gave, him, they gave him a mega deal, and it's incumbent upon him to come flying out of the gates. Because if you look at the schedule early on, it's very favorable for the Phillies. All right? Very favorable. They, talk, they start with the Rangers, tough Bruce Bochy's debut as the manager of the Rangers. Then they go to the Yankees, and they have the Reds. They have the Marlins. They, they have a relatively easy schedule early on. So I think right. they've got to make hay and take advantage of that schedule. Roger? I'll tell you, Alec Bones looked really good in spring training, hasn't he, Bill? I think he's going to have a great year. Well, Alex Bone, I, I think, could be a very solid number two hitter in the lineup. I know they'll start him out probably six or seven in the lineup, but I think he would be the guy behind Trey Turner because he hits the ball to all fields, and I really like that. Really like the way he, you know he's, he's starting to get that stroke to have a little bit more power. I'm not worried about home runs. Doubles in the gap are very important. Uh, but I, I really believe that Bohm could be a real solid number two hitter. Chris Wheeler said last week or the week before, I can't remember which, I think it was last week uh, he was on with us, and he said that uh, he's put on some pounds, he's stronger. And uh, your observation, I think, is 100%. Keep hitting the ball in the right center field alley, left center field alley. Don't try to be a home run hitter. Hit home runs when they're available, but uh, use use the skill that you have. And he's also improved dramatically at third base, which, uh, you know, which is very, very important. Defense has got to be a sound part of the Philadelphia Phillies at 23. Uh, the other thing is, Billy, uh, the bullpen. The bullpen's got to be improved, and uh, we'll see how they turn out. Give us some of your observations on the bullpen. Well, I think it would be bullpen by committee early on before they settle in on the closer. I mean, they've got Kimbrell. They've got Alvarado. They got the kid Stram from the Red Sox. They have a very interesting mix in the bullpen. Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think this bullpen's a lot better than it was a year ago or two years ago. Remember, two years ago, I think they blew what 40, 40 games. <laughs> the bullpen. Right. They were like they were like throwing kerosene on the fire. I mean, they <laughs> they imploded. But I, I certainly think Dombrowski has addressed that issue. And the other issue in baseball right now, I know you can't have two inf- uh, three infielders on one side of the diamond. I think, Don and Roger, watch for this, especially against dead pull hitters. You'll move the left fielder to short right field, and you'll have two outfielders, the center fielder and the right fielder, and you'll say that the, at the guy at the plate, 
let's see you punch the ball in the left field. I think that is going to be the third infielder in certain occasions. Going to be interesting because a lot of people have talked about that, Billy, that uh, that's exactly what they would do. In fact, at the end of last year, remember, uh, a number of teams during the playoffs and into the World Series moved the player from left field into short right field, even when they had the second baseman out on the grass. So I agree with that point 100%. The other thing was Chris Wheeler made a key point, and he said that uh, with the structure of the National League East right now, with Harper not able to play, he thinks that takes them down unless he, as you said, is going to be able to get back much quicker than they anticipate. That that moves them down, that the Mets and, and Braves are going to be, in the beginning of the season, are going to be picked up with the Phillies only because Harper's not there. Well, I, I disagree with Chris, and I respect the hell out of Chris. You talked to him last week. Remember, the Mets lost their number one, their closer. All right? right. That is a oh, yeah, big, Diaz. big loss. Diaz went there, now, yes. What what do the Mets do to fill that void in the bullpen? I mean, I know Cohen's got a checkbook as big as yours. Uh, <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> and he'll spend money to get a My Mine's sick, but it's empty. <laughs> Oh, never empty. There's no, there's no checks left in it. They're all gone. <laughs> well, Todd, let me tell you something. You never went out for ice water in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> we have to have fun with Dot. Oh, I know. I no. love it. You're Dot, the best, I, Billy. You're I, the I best. Wheels, and I think it'll be tough. That's why it's very important for Castellanos that's what I'm saying. That puts time. even more pressure on Castellanos to come in and be the player he was two years ago, not the player right. that he was last year. No, uh, Absolutely. And, and another yeah. guy that will pressure on will be Derek Hall if he's your DH. You need yeah. production out of him as well. <laughs> Roger? Bill, let, let me ask you that. You know what? A name that uh, surfaced, and he's really looked good, coming back, Scott Kingry. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's going to make – I mean, he's not on the 40-man uh, roster. Do you think he can make the team? I I, I hope he does because I, I give him a lot of credit uh, that, you know, he has really worked hard to come back, and he's looked great, in the, and he can play the outfield and the infield. Well, that's a very good point. And also, he, he signed that mega deal with the Phillies a number of years ago for $30 million. The Phillies want to have paying. him down on the farm, or yeah. they want to have him on the big league roster. This is they have a very interesting dilemma with their bench. Cave, the kid who signed originally with the Yankees, uh, the Wilson kid who can play a myriad of positions. We know Sosa is going to be there. The other Sosa, the infielder, outfielder, but they yeah. have to find a couple of bench players who can help them a lot because you need your bench. You need your bench desperately especially in the dog days of July and August. So they've got to identify their bench. And the one thing I worry about the guys who are hot in spring training, because I go back to a guy named Ron Palm Tree Stone who played for the Phillies. Ron he was Stone, lighted yeah. up in spring training. And then when the regular <laughs> season started, he was just a pedestrian outfielder. But, again, I hope Kingbury makes it. And, look, this is a – an indictment of the Phillies uh, organization when they tried to change this guy 
and have them play multiple positions oh, and change right. swing. That's right, exactly the right. They should have plugged him in at second base and don't mess with his swing. Do not mess. Remember, Connie Mack was once asked about Al Simmons, who used to step in the bucket. What are you going to do with Al? Are you going to change his swing? As long as he's hitting 330, he can hit, hit the way he wants to hit. Well, you're the only right. one that's old enough to see the play, so I can understand that. <laughs> but but Don, let's, right let, I can't let you go before we run out of time because the Flyers, we can almost cross the board. Uh, I, I really feel badly. I, I thought the new coach was going to make more of an impression the first year. I think he probably will the second. But let's go to the, to the 76ers because there's going to be a battle at the top. Boston is a little bit uh, a little bit out in front, but uh, your thoughts on the 76ers, and if you want to throw something in on the Flyers before we run out of time, go ahead. All right, the Flyers are a young team, and they're going to rebuild. They don't want to hear that word, rebuild. They always call it, you know, we're in a retooling mode or what it may be. Uh, the Flyers got to get some good young players. They got to make some trades in the offseason. I mean, I was, I was surprised they couldn't trade Van Reinsight at the trade deadline, that fell through. But look at the Sixers. They have a Sixers playing Chicago right now. They're up big, but it's early. Sixers have a very important road trip. When they come back, they face the Celtics, I believe. So this is a very important road trip. In Chicago, they go to Golden State. They go to Denver, and they play Phoenix as well. I don't know if that's the proper order. But this is a very, very important road trip for the Sixers. And this can really define where they are in the standings. They'll obviously be second or third. They'd love to be second. But if they're third, they've got to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. All right? And George Carl making a statement about Embiid the other day. A little upset with that. Embiid has had a MVP season. I know it's an individual award. But he's an MVP player, and he should be the MVP. That is my opinion. Hey, Nan, I agree. I agree Roger. with that. You know, one, one last thing, Bill, uh, on the uh, Phillies. Tom LeMayne, you know, is former uh, Navy uh, pilot, and uh, this mm-hmm. young man that, that was on the uh, uh, graduate of the Naval Academy set all the records. Do you think that we, the Phillies can work around that Rule 5 uh, so that they can keep him. Have you heard anything more on that? Hopefully he stays injured. That's the key thing. That's the way you mm. get around Rule 5. If he's hurt, he doesn't have to be exposed to waivers anymore. So I yeah, think just the on the eye. Probably, yeah. probably maneuver it that way. I mean, uh, you know, obviously they, they have a lot of high hopes for this kid and thought that Greg Luzinski last year was saw him in action. He said he's got electric stuff. So Dombrowski really? knew he was knew he was when he when he when he uh, drafted him and feel as though he could be an asset. But they got to keep him on the injury reserve list for a while until they can make a final decision. Yeah, <laughs> Billy, I want to make your night before you leave because I know how much you enjoy gambling. The commissioner <laughs> did it again. Major League Baseball sold the broadcast rights to all 120 minor league games for this year. Major League Baseball is going to pay. There will be no charge at home if you want to be stream those games. And they're compliments of Bally's Gambling Casino. 
Now I know that's gonna make you. Re- <laughs> I know that's gonna make you break your uh, day. Don, Don, you know what, Don? They're just looking for trouble. They're just <laughs> looking for trouble. I mean, more and more and more, you see this, and you say, "Hey, we had that one player in the NFL, Ridley, who got oh, I only bet a, a few games." You think he's the only one in the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball? When there's a major scandal, I don't want to hear these commissioners saying, well, we didn't realize it. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we try to have everything under control, but they'll have egg on their face. And I, I can't wait for that day to happen because that day is on the horizon, boys. <laughs> I I, I got to say, they're getting more and more involved with gambling every I mean, you know, every day it seems like they're serrating something. 120 minor league games. Now they, they're guaranteeing you that you can't bet on those games. Now you tell me oh, how Valley really how Valley's going to uh, prove that you're not betting on minor league games. Right. <laughs> they talk out of both sides of their mouth, Don. Come on. <laughs> yeah, t- tell me how many major league players haven't played in a bracket buster uh, March Madness pool. Every one of them come. plays it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, come yep. on. And, and the Again. Super Bowl boxes, okay? Absolutely. The Super Everybody Bowl does it. You know that. Exactly. Come on, Roger. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. If you don't believe it, Santa Claus is on your front lawn this afternoon. <laughs> That's right. Or tonight. <laughs> coming down your chimney. Yeah, coming down your chimney. William, anything else you'd like to touch on before we run out of time? I just enjoyed doing this segment. When Frank calls me, I said, I'm always ready to play with Don Henderson and Roger because I have a real good time with you guys on the air. Hey, we love you, Bill. You're the best. Hey, listen, hey, thank you. Wait a minute. Now, before, we, wait a minute. before we let him go, I always yeah. let Billy give everybody along the networks all the opportunity to know how to listen to him every single day in the Philadelphia area and around the country and around the world. Billy, around the world. Give, give your start and your close every day. It's WCAT, 1520 on the dial, 95.3 on the FM dial, WCAT, 1520.com, Facebook as well. You always can follow me on Twitter, and uh, I really appreciate that, Don. And I know I'll have you on the air in the next couple of weeks, but tomorrow we have Mike Rhodes, the coach, of uh, Virginia Commonwealth coming on. Steve Lynham, we have a young man on, on the Giants, uh, Keith Noonan, and we'll also have legendary N- NCAA official, Hall of Fame official, Hank Nichols. Oh, oh okay. he's great. That's great. That's yeah. great. Hey, Bill, Billy, I, I told you. Bill Mar- you Tell you one today. thing. I, I heard, I heard Mar- from Angelo Cattaudi. I heard from Angelo Cattaudi yesterday. Working on his book. I can't wait till it comes out. He said it's a lot of work. It'll be a lot of work, but it'll be a lot. Of, uh, it'll be a great, great uh, book to buy. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for Angelo, and there's a you big void in Philadelphia sports radio right now. Right. Yeah. Take care, Billy, Billy. As always, thank you very, very much. We'll get together soon, and uh, the summer season is uh, coming upon us. Can't wait for the baseball season to get started, and we only have about another four, maybe forty or fifty days of eighty-two degree weather here. So, I don't, you know, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get sunburned. All right. well, I know. Talk to you soon, Billy. All right. Talk to you guys. Later. Take care, Thank Bill. You.
Bye-bye. Mike Zimzak, ready to go down to the Baltimore, Washington area. Mike joins us all the time. Uh, week after week, we talk about soccer. We talk about Washington f- football. We talk about basketball. We talk about everything going on in Baltimore, Washington. And, uh, of course, we always talk about MLS. So we'll start a little bit uh, early on the soccer, which is his uh, uh, main event. And, uh, Mike, first of all, welcome to the show again. And, secondly, uh, MLS is in the very early stages. We touched on it a little bit last week. Uh, give us the status there first. Um, like you said, still early stages. Team's still kind of figuring it out. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Atlanta United and the Philadelphia Union because of our proximity to both of those teams. But, uh, you know, Atlanta United, Roger, looking really, really good straight out the game. Yeah. Um, one of the better teams in the MLS. It's been a couple of years since they've been competitive. This kid, Tiago Almada, who they got, um, he is just something else again, and he looks like probably the next young, big young star. Uh, you know, I think that he'll be there. You know, he may get a move this summer over to Europe. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one. He gets moved if he continues as a misdirector and he gets a move um, to a, to a um, Premier League or, or um, a Spanish team. Uh, next January, but either way, I think enjoy him while you can, because barring anything unfortunate, I suspect that he'll be moving on uh, either during the season or at the end of it. I don't that he has much longer because he's just showing that he's uh, he's a special sort of talent, and teams are going to be banging down the door to uh, grab him. You know, the Un- Philadelphia Union uh, went to Montreal. They didn't have their best game again. Uh, they didn't control the game uh, as effectively as they did. It ended up in a 4-3 shootout uh, type of win. And by that, I mean high-scoring game. Uh, Jim Curtin was less than pleased. But, again, the general feeling around them right now is these two road losses that they've suffered are more blips than indicators of what they are uh, as the teams go into their fifth game this weekend starting um, to get stuff sorted out. Uh, Otherwise, on the American soccer front, we've got Nations League games coming up. The uh, international team, the national team, I should say, is in action. Uh, It's an opportunity to defend a trophy this summer that they won against Mexico uh, before the World Cup. Um, They've got a pretty big summer coming up because these are some of the only competitive matches that they're going to get in between now and 2026. Because the U.S. is an automatic qualifier for the World Cup, they won't go through World Cup qualifying, which means that opportunities for them to play games in any sense of the word are going to get to be very, very few and far between after this summer. So this is a big summer for them because this is a month for them because they won't have many more opportunities to play these sorts of games again leading up to the World Cup. Roger, you're up. Yeah, the uh, talking about the United, uh, Mike, uh, 3-0 uh, and, and uh, 1, they got, what, 11 points. And I know they're uh, having a away game uh, this uh, Saturday. and um, But they do look good. Uh, and, of course, now everything's on Apple TV, which in mm-hmm. some ways good in some ways not so good because I used to like watching them uh, – uh, on Peachtree TV over the air, and just like with the Union uh, on uh, PHL 17. But uh, 
they were talking about some of the uh, uh, United players that were uh, called up to join their country for the March uh, FIFA international uh, window. And uh, I know Miles Robinson, uh, one of them, uh, let's see, Diego uh, Almada for Argentina, and uh, Ronald Hernandez for Venezuela were three of them that uh, I'm familiar with. Um, Do you think that's going to uh, slow down? Uh, the, uh, 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 the I don't, but uh, do you think it will slow down the MLS uh, season with this? Uh, well, MLS makes the decision to play through some of these breaks, right? So this one is a um, – it's two weeks. So they're looking at losing about two games with these guys. Anytime that you take a important player out of your roster, uh, it creates – a uh, it creates an issue, right? You know, I was mm-hmm. just talking about how good and how important Thiago Almada has been to to Atlanta United thus far in the season, and now you're looking at he's not going to be around the team for the next two weeks. Miles Robinson has been an important part of their defense. He's the starter at center back. He was a guy who's coming back early kind of in his comeback from a catastrophic injury last year, and now he's going to be gone. For two weeks, so these are important players. It is putting them at a disadvantage, but it's part of what happens to the MLS because they play this season from you know like late winter, very early spring until the fall, right? So as a result, you're going to have times like this in May, you're going to have times like this in June, and you're going to have times like this in September and October when. FIFA international breaks come up, and they have to release these players, right? They will take a um, three-week break during the Gold Cup because so many of the players will be away, uh, and they and they don't want to conflict with the tournament, which will be held in the United States. So, you know, in that respect, it's good. They'll, they'll get the break in. You know, the guys won't play, all the focus will be there. But, yeah, you know, it does affect it. But this has been something that has been going on since the advent of MLS. Teams have learned how to accommodate the fact that, you know, you're going to go through a couple of times each year where important players are not with you. Mike, uh, you've been in the eye of the storm down there in the Baltimore, Washington area for the last six months. Uh, Anything new uh, to report on? Uh, what's happening uh, with the Washington Baseball Club, with the Washington Football Club, with Snyder himself, uh, with the possibility of moving to a stadium. Uh, so many things happening down there, and you're right in the middle of it to pick any one of them and give us an update. Well, as far as the Washington um, Nationals go, uh, it is just uh, it, 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 it's going to be a long season. Kate Cavalli, Cavalli, the guy, one of the young pitchers that they were really excited about playing. He was one of their top pitching prospects. Well, he's going through Tommy John surgery, right? So now they've lost him for for the year. Uh, The rotation was already thin. Basically, it's now Josiah Gray and um, Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore was one of the prospects who came back in the Juan Soto trade. You know, he was a very, 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 very highly rated prospect when he was in minor league baseball, but when he made his debut last year, it was, you know, it it wasn't great for him. So they're hoping that he can take a major step forward. 
Um, Patrick Corbin, who has been one of the losingest starting pitchers in Major League Baseball over the course of the last three years, uh, he's in line for his third consecutive or his, his second, yeah, his third consecutive um, start, opening day start. So you know that's kind of where they're at right now. And How about the sale? Have, where does that stand? As I've been saying, the sale isn't going to happen until they figure out that right deal with Masson. Uh, until something moves on that, I doubt that you're going to have a sale. So I don't think that there's a sale imminent for the Nationals. Um, okay. It's going, to, it's going to be a lot of treading water this season for the Nationals. Um, they are going uh, – I just don't see a way. Like, you know, I know Hope Springs Eternal at this time of year, but I really just don't see a way where they get – um, you know, in fighting distance of 500, I think the goal for them would be to lose less than 100 games. Oh, boy. Roger? Yeah, well, the, uh, that would not be good. I mean, because uh, they've been in a free fall uh, ever since they had the uh, – they won the World Series. And, uh, the uh, you know, you just uh, – the uh, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, with the Nationals, but uh, – uh, the and I saw a picture the other day of Snyder with I guess with his wife, and uh, you know I I guess in some ways he's trying to hold things off, isn't he, Mike? Um, nobody really knows, right? So, uh, wait a minute, we got you here because you're supposed to know. We have you. We have all the faith in the world in you. We, I wish I wish <laughs> I was in. in, in in, in the room with Dan Snyder, and I can guarantee that he was moving towards the sale, right? Um, the Joshua, Joshua Harris, um, Mitchell Rails, who's a local um, Maryland, Montgomery County uh, investment banker, finance guy, he's joined, and then they just announced yesterday that Magic Johnson had joined as a limited partner within this bidding process. So that by far looks like the one that that looks like the favorite bid right now. If he's going to sell, that would be it. They've taken a tour of the facilities. Um, Harris, because of his involvement in the purchase of the uh, Denver Broncos last year, has already been vetted by the league. Um, and I can't imagine that uh, Mitchell Rails or uh, uh, Magic Johnson wouldn't pass league vetting. So I don't think that's a problem. It's just a matter of – uh, getting the money together, and is Dan really, really, really serious about selling? And that's the big fear is that, you know, they're going to make a legitimate bid of somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, the high fives. You know, the, the the bids were around in between five and like five seven. Maybe they upped the bid to like five eight, five nine, and Dan is saying like, no, I want six and a half, seven million dollars. Will not sell. And then this is all his thing to go and say, well, I tried to sell. But nobody met my price, so you're stuck with me. And I think that's been the big fear around here is that he's not really serious, even though there are real serious bidders involved in this process. Roger? Yeah, the, uh, but as uh, we've said many weeks, for many weeks, only time will tell. And uh, I, I, the longer this goes, the more I think uh, it, it's, they're not going to be settled before the season. Uh, you know, the are they are the the still uh, players uh, still the uh, the big players still involved because uh, you know Josh Harris is involved 
And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, he's taken a lot of criticism in Philadelphia because, uh, you know, he could care less, and then they're having problems uh, down in uh, China, Chinatown, as Don knows and Frank knows. Uh, they want to build that new arena, and uh, they feel he's just a carpetbagger. You know, he owns the Devils, he owns the Sixers, now he wants to own the Redskins. Have you heard any more about him? Well, yeah, I was just saying, he partnered up with uh, uh, Mitch Rails, who's a local investment banker, and he added um, uh, Magic Johnson. And, you know, to that extent, he kind of is that. Like, his thing is buying and operating sports teams. He's got the Sixers. Yeah. He went. He bought the Jebels. He owns uh, Crystal Palace in the uh, English Premier League. Like, that's his thing. He doesn't have any, like, geographical allegiance so far he just wants these properties and that's how he wants to operate you know i can see let me interrupt for a second mike i I just don't think that the city of philadelphia can acquiesce in sort of as as a part of chinatown i don't think they can allow them to build any kind of a stadium in what is now known as chinatown i mean i I don't think he could do that no it's not going to happen I agree. It's not. It's not going to happen. Um, remember, the uh, before Citizens Bank Park was built, uh, the Phillies had looked at trying to do that down there, in that region, and it wouldn't work. Right? They no. were not going to allow it to happen. Um, you know, there's a limited amount of space where they can build this thing in the area that they're talking about, and plus, you know, right in the midst of the. the of time to time, you've got the convention center too. So, I think that you know that area just isn't in love with the idea of the volume of people that would be there if you had the convention center and the uh, the stadium, like basically right on top of each other. Right? Um, that area just isn't prepared for that sort of volume. Will he probably get his own stadium someplace, some way, somehow? Yeah, I just don't think it's going to be in that specific area. Well, Maybe I think Philadelphia was very front. successful with putting that. You know, they put the Wells Fargo Center there. They put uh, Citizens Bank Park there. They put the, you know, they've had the football field, the baseball field, and the basketball convention area all in the same place. But they have great access in and out. They have Broad Street, which they turn into a one-way street. They have done 95, which takes you right into the parking lot. I mean, they really have access, perfect access, yeah. Roger, to all of the yeah. facilities. Yeah. Exactly. Well, when Bridge gets you over to New Jersey in five minutes, once you get up right. there, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I most think it's absolutely I go stupid are, to go yeah, downtown. Most places I go are envious of the setup that Philly has, although the argument is like there's not outside of Xfinity, um, the Xfinity Live. There's not that sort of shopping retail restaurant thing down there like people go to the game they may go to Xfinity live they come and they leave um the big thing now is like this idea of you know you're going to go for a couple hours before the game you're going to watch the game then you're going to come out and hang out afterwards like that just doesn't happen down there that could be the only thing but you you know Mike do have Packer Avenue has picked up and you've got Mm -hmm. restaurants there and you got Chickie and Pete's Okay, so uh, at least I That's mean, there they have halfway. Well, they have a shuttle bus too that brings you over, which is yeah. good. Uh, you know, you don't park, you don't have to pay for parking. 
So, but I mean, most places would envy it, and I think you know, you, I think that this is a thing with them about kind of getting the idea through people's head that the, the uh, Wells Fargo Center probably needs to be replaced. It is one of the oldest stadiums at this point in in basketball and hockey. Uh, I don't think that anybody expected the stadium to still be around after going near 30 years, so it needs to be right. Well, you know the area much better than we do, but I just don't know. Uh, it's tough enough to travel around the Washington area to begin with. But I just don't know where there's an, a location where you would have access to get in and out without causing a three-day delay. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, even when you went to Robert it F. Kennedy Stadium, it was right next to the, to, the, to the freeway going through. But, hell, you couldn't get off there to get around. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that is a major league issue. Like, if you are going to build a stadium in the city down here, a football stadium, it has to be at RFK. The one of advantages that RFK did have was, although you didn't have great um, vehicle access, it was good for Metro. Like, you could hop off at the Stadium Armory stop right. and you were right there, right? So that was a good thing. Um, you know, the Snyder's own the Landover site where the stadium currently is. They own not only that land, but they own a lot of land around it. The problem is there's no real metro station there. The closest one's about a mile and a half away. And there is also, if we talk, I was complaining about the fact that there's not a lot of bars, restaurants, retail around the, right. uh, the stadium right. center in Philadelphia. There's even less there, right? There's nothing but stadium and a couple of houses. So you go down there, and then you, you leave if you can. And so that's an issue. Um, Outside of that, you're right. There really isn't any land with which to build a stadium. There was one tracked by the Dulles Airport in Loudoun County, but that's been given away. Um, there had been talk of a land swap that would give Maryland property down by National Harbor in Oxon Hill, but the federal government turned that down. Um, so that's off the table now. So there really aren't a lot the, the places within a reasonable distance to put a football stadium in D.C. have narrowed significantly to the old RFK site and uh, the place where it is right now, just build a new stadium in the parking lot and then drop the existing one or drop it and build it up immediately. Uh, they have been looking at land options for the place in, like, Dumfries in Prince Charles County, Virginia, which is even worse because if it's crazy getting down there to uh, Landover now, uh, it's going to be even worse getting down to Northern Virginia to try and do this. So most places people are like, if that's what they do, like I understand you, your thought process that there's a lot of season ticket holders in Virginia, but um, you're basically cutting off everybody from probably the Northern part of D.C. and up towards Baltimore. So that would be – I can tell you now, as somebody who lives in the northern suburbs, I would not be in a rush to go down there to see much of anything. So that's <laughs> – Well, that's going to so. do it for tonight, Mike. I, I really appreciate it as always. And Mike, well, we'll, keep, we'll keep trying to update all our listeners on what's happening in the Baltimore, Washington area. And uh, my main concern is get that new FBI building built. I mean, I want to see – I, want to, I don't want to see that old building, the FBI. Hoover may still be in there, so we have to be careful there. <laughs> hey, hey, look, but, if uh, you drop that, I don't want to know what happens if you drop the, if you drop the Hoover building. Um, there's just too many things. <laughs> all 
right. Take care. We'll get to you next week, Mike. Take care. Mike, there's a pile of dresses that will fall out of the closet. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, he may have a pile of dresses, but we were in a lot better shape than we are right now. I don't care whether he had dresses or what he had. I wish we had him back. I know. Let's go go back down to Baltimore. Our PGA professional, our executive uh, director on the golf front, Doug Hamilton is ready to go, and uh, Doug, another great, great tournament last weekend. Uh, Jason, I was waiting for Smith to win it, but he didn't do it. And, uh, but I'll tell you, another another big week this week, uh, and uh, a different a different setup for this week's golf because they don't play uh, uh, match golf anymore. They, this, uh, but yeah. this tournament is a little bit different than the usual tournament. Uh, you know, look, I, I'm a big fan of of match play. I think that. Um... You know, obviously, you're 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 traditionalists that um, you know walk when they play golf and and carry their own bag and probably still wear pleats. You know, love match play too. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's um, you know, it's there's you know between Don we talked about you know live golf and and the PGA and the changes that um, are probably you know um, in the works and forthcoming with regard to you know, the PGA's uh, purses and structures and all those sorts of things in an effort to compete, um, although they wouldn't admit it. Um, you know, I think that this is a welcome change, you know, in terms of what they normally do uh, to play some match play. And um, to me, there's nothing better than seeing your, your opponent, uh, you know, on the same tee box as you and, and knowing everything that happens is right in front of you as it unfolds, um, as opposed to, um, obviously, going out there and trying to to play the best you can in the hopes that you know some guy in a in a group, you know, seven groups behind you doesn't have a good day, you know what I mean, or those sorts of things. So I think it's um, a lot of a lot of benefits, I think, in in strategy to uh, the match play aspect. They spent a lot of time in the New York Pro today talking about it, and I, yeah, a lot of the points I agree with. They broke it down to the final sixteen, the final eight, the final four, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. things that they pointed out, which is true. You know, what about if you don't get a ROM and you don't get the, uh, this is really the difficulty of match play, mm-hmm. if you come down to the final eight or the final four and you've got, uh, as in the case of last week, a, a player that's never won a tournament, you know, in the in the final four or the final eight, and your television audience, are they going to stay with it with match play? That was the big concern in the post today. Um. I mean that's a good question. I mean I don't know. I think that there's probably just as many people that that tune in to see that underdog, you know, each and every week, and and the hopefuls and the stories that you know probably never should be. Um, you know I think by and large, you know, America loves a great underdog story, and um, right. I, I think if you've watched any of the tournament and you're invested in in golf, uh, whether you're a fan of the game or a particular you know player or or what have you. Um, I think once you've gotten to, you know, the, the final four, I think you're still invested and you're, you know, you've got to see who, who, you know, moves forward. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that they're going to lose any viewership in that respect, you know, just because, I mean, look, you know, every good tournament needs a villain and a hero and um, it just depends on who that is. Roger. Well, you're exactly right, Doug. And uh, the, uh, you know, still a lot, a lot going on uh, between the two, different uh, factions or, you know, I am going to look at them as leagues now, you know, the way uh, the PGA and they're set up. But, uh, 
I, I wanted to get over uh, to uh, uh, baseball, you know, because the uh, season's going to start in, a, what, a week and a half, I guess. And, Let me interrupt uh, Roger for just a second. He's probably watching tonight's games. Are you, are you, <laughs> you see the Orioles games today? Um, I believe. Didn't they lose two games? They lost two one of the blue days, I believe. I think it was on MLB, but I didn't have a chance to watch it. Go ahead, Roger. Well, I saw them against the Phillies the other night uh, at midnight when I turned the uh, – I couldn't sleep. So I went and turned the TV on and I watched the game. So, But the uh, how do the Orioles look to you? You know, you play college baseball. You're, you know, a, a knowledgeable guy about baseball in yeah. addition to college. Well, I think, you know, I've, I've had this conversation – um, at least once today, but um, the, the similarities between uh, the golf swing and the baseball swing, um, you know, they, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of things that I think are incredibly similar. Obviously the plane is different in the fact that you're, you're hitting a moving target versus a non, uh, we can rule those out, but um, the mechanics of which uh, is what I would talk about. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to like, you know, paying attention to, uh, watching like I watched the World Baseball Classic last night and very disappointed to see the United States lose that game, but they just didn't have enough pitching and I think we knew that from the onset of the event. Um, but I like to watch the hitters and and how they hit and how they approach. Um, you know, like like to me, Trey Turner is um, a very good model of of how to hit a baseball with how quiet he is in terms of his lower half and, and he just kind of picks his left foot up a little bit on his toe. And then he puts it back down as a trigger to hit. And you have other people that do different things to, to ready themselves and, and stride and load and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, I think that you'll see some of the Orioles uh, come into their own this year, uh, having a little bit of major league experience last year, but now we're going to get a, a full, full docket of, of their talent and you got Gunnar Henderson, you've got Adley Rushman. Um, you did see Cedric Mullins get a chance to play in the WBC uh, who, you know, he played particularly well. He's a very strong um, component of the outfield in the, in the center field position. I think you have Jorge Mateo. I think the Orioles may have one of the best um, defenses. You know, I'll just leave it at the American league. Um, you know, and I think that obviously pitch, pitching is going to be critical to them. Um, I Wish I could rub Jeannie's lamp and, and have a number one bona fide starter pop out of it, but I don't know that that's going to happen before, you know, we get going pretty much in the season. I think that the acquisition of, of uh, that guy Irvin was a good one, and I think he's also Gibson. I think they're both going to add some innings and some depth and, and leadership and veteran presence to uh, the front end of that um, rotation. I think that <clears throat> Dean Kramer is a solid number three. I think he – he pitched pretty well for Israel in the WBC, and I think he's pitched pretty well in spring training, still hanging around that ERA of about, you know, 3-3-2, which I think is, is pretty good. Um, I think that you'll see um, Grayson Rodriguez uh, be a factor um, in their rotation. I think that he's going to experience the highest of highs and lowest of lows this year in terms of how he pitches when he, you know, goes out and, and strikes out seven and, and looks really good and then comes back the next day or the next outing and, and gives up four or five runs in four innings or, you know, whatever he does. And I think he's got the talent, obviously, but, but we'll we'll see how that translates to, you know, 20 or however many starts he gets this year. And I think that um, big question mark for, for the Orioles is their bullpen, which pitched really well last year, and they have some pretty pretty good pieces, although some of them are still – on the disabled list, I think, to start the season. 
Um, I was not a big proponent of the Orioles trading Jorge Lopez last year because I think he just – I don't know that they got what they needed to get in return for him, but I think he, you had your game set. Perez was going to throw the seventh. Bautista was going to throw the eighth. And Lopez was going to, you know, uh, turn out the lights in the ninth inning. And I think you just needed to find somebody who could throw five or six innings, and you were good. Um I'm excited. I think the vibe, I think that um, I am actually, um, my, my wife and, and, and Braden and myself are going to opening day on, on April 6th at, at Camden uh, for the first time in I don't know how many years it's been to, to see an opening day for me. And I'm really, really excited to experience the vibe of the start of a new season and the youthful exuberance that they have and just the goofy nature of how all those guys get along. I mean, they, they produce uh, little videos of of fun things on you know Instagram and all these different things where they're they're cutting up on each other and carrying on and I think it's a really tight knit group with a lot of youthful infusion uh, with sprinkled you know on top of, of veteran leadership which I think is you know last year we talked about the island of misfit toys and and how they fit this team together you know pretty much picking people off the scrap heap that were trying to you know rejuvenate their career and they won 83 games so. I'm excited. This is this is really good for Baltimore, and, and I think we're we're going to start making a return to you know I don't know that we're going to make the playoffs this year. There could be a little regression in there, but um, I'm excited. Well, I won't see tomorrow night's game. I did see yesterday's game, but I won't see tomorrow night's game. But I will see Friday night's game against the Yankees. Six uh, ten start, so uh, you'll probably get a good chance to see that one back mm-hmm. in Baltimore. In fact, yesterday's game uh, was televised uh, back. So maybe you had a chance to see it as well, yeah. but uh, yeah, they hit the ball very effectively. It's something they haven't been doing for during spring training. They haven't been getting a lot of offense, and uh, no. yesterday they got they got some offense. They scored five runs in the first uh, six innings, five six innings, and uh, as you said, uh, they've they've got a lot of very very strong possibilities. They got some very young players that are going through spring training in pretty good shape. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many they keep. Well, yeah, that's close. the question, Don. That is the question. I think that, you know, because I actually follow the Orioles, I mean, I'm literally the dork that looks at the box score, you know, after they play a, a spring training game to see, like, you know, who did what, just, you know what I mean? And right. I'm telling you, he's the Orioles and, and uh, Coach Hyde are going to have, uh, I think, some tough choices to make here coming down the stretch in terms of who they keep and, and some different things. I think – Jordan Jordan Westberg is is like right on the cusp. Um, you know, he had a really strong year last year um, at a couple of different levels, and you know, this kid can hit and he can play. Um, I think they they're going to mold him into more of a second baseman. I think that um, I mean he had a rough start. Now he's right around the 300 mark, and I'm telling you. I said it last week. There's this guy that's on their team that I never heard of. His name is John Lester, and he just keeps hitting. And they were looking for a, um, a backup first baseman that could hit left-handed, and that's him. Um, they have a couple other, you know, non-roster invitees. Ryan O'Hearn was one. Uh, Cameron Diaz was one. Uh, they have a couple other guys that they're going to have some tough choices to make on how this this actual team looks um, and who plays some of these backup positions and and all these different things. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to rule out the fact that they're they're going to make a splash move here. Um, you know, and, and go after because they have a lot of pieces um, and they have a lot of depth, and they're they have just 
I mean, they, they sent uh, Heston Kerstad and, and Colton Towser both down to their respective minor league camps, and I can't remember which one it was, but one of them was hitting about 400 in spring training and had a substantial amount of the bats. So th- there's there's a lot of good things coming in the pipeline here, and eventually it's going to come to a head at the same position. So I'm curious to see what they do about that. Yeah, they've kept a number of uh, additional players, too. Uh, they, mm-hmm. He's giving everybody a good look. Roger? Yeah, the well, that's what you want to see. I mean, in spring training, and uh, did they have anybody uh, on uh, the? Uh, did they lose anybody to the uh, world? Uh, uh, the, yeah, uh, the world. Uh, well, they called well, the WTC, right? Yeah. So, um, so Cedric Mullins played for uh, the United States. Uh, Dean Kramer pitched for Israel. Uh, the motherland, if you will, and um, Santander was on um, Venezuela, Cuba, no, uh, Colombia, Africa, wherever he was, I can't remember, but he he played particularly well. Um, I mean, I don't know if they might have had a few other. I mean, a lot of those teams, you got to understand, like Great Britain and some of those teams. I mean, they they were pretty sparse with major league talent, you know. So they had there were a lot of, of potential you know, minor leaguers, so there there might have been a few hanging around for the Orioles that, you know, single-A, double-A type guys that, that played for their respective countries. Well, that's what... Uh, well, I think, I think, Roger, let me just say, Roger, I think they were really pleased that they didn't have to... Look. I think they wanted as many of their players, because they mm-hmm. had 10 players that are really rated in the top minor league uh, yeah. prospects coming ahead, and I think they wanted their players there. I don't think they wanted them to play. Sure. You know, I don't think they wanted them away. I think they wanted them right there. They... They probably well, would have enjoyed maybe a couple of the WBC. I don't think they wanted to send them anywhere. I think they wanted to keep them right here, right here. And in, in, uh, well, I, I don't. I mean, coming from the horse's mouth, we don't know. But I mean, I would tend to disagree with that because either way, they're going to get their reps. And if Santander and Kramer and Mullins and those guys are playing for their respective countries, yeah, you know, they're they're doing their thing. But guess what? That gave you know Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, all those guys extra reps in spring training that they wouldn't have seen otherwise because of the people that would have displaced them that were playing the WBC. So, uh, you know, I think that the bottom line is so long as these players that go to the WBC, and I think the Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals, had 17 players that were representing them, you know, with regard to their right. respective countries, as long as these people don't get hurt, then who gives it? You know what I mean? I mean, Altuve's out because he broke his thumb, and that guy – Diaz, the closer for the Mets, Edwin is out Diaz. for the year. So yeah. you, you don't like to see that kind of stuff. But, look, I mean, at the end of the day, how the hell are you supposed to know that the guy's going to go over there and strike the guy <clears> out and jump up and down and tear his patella? Well, that's what, that was the whole part we talked to the first half hour of the show tonight uh, uh, about exactly that same thing, that uh, who would think they would get that excited, uh, hmm. you know, in, in this particular well, WBC game that he would well, tear up his knee and not be able to play for the rest of the year. Well, Don, I had the same conversation with my wife. We were talking about this the other night. But, I mean, go back two years when the Ravens had all those non-contact injuries with, you know, Marcus Peters and, and Gus Edwards and some of those guys that they lost for the entire right. season. You know, those things are, are freaky. You know, they happen, and it, it sucks. But, it's unfortunately, it's part of the game. And, you know, it's it's been brought to light by the people in the media because, you know, they wanted, they're waiting for their opportunity to make a big deal out of the fact that someone got hurt. Oh, yeah, see, I told you we shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff, you know, because people are going to get hurt and their respective teams are going to be, you know, in the lurch, you know. And, you know, it was it was made a bigger deal than what it should have been because that's what they wanted it to be. Well, as I well, said the first part of the show, I, I just felt that, 
you had to be overly protective of the pitchers. In fact, the two veteran pitchers for the Mets didn't go for that reason. They, they didn't feel that they were ready to pitch, you know, uh, at that competition. At their age, they and they're protect. They're going to go with a six-man rotation. Looks like the Mets to start yeah. the season because they want to get into August. Uh, they don't want their two older pitchers to have pitched a hell of a lot of innings and wear out like they did last year. Well, yeah, but Phillies come on, man. What, what's... Two pitchers didn't go either, and the Phillies' well, what... top two catchers, Riamuto and also Garrett. You talked about Israel, Doug. Garrett Stubbs mm-hmm. was the catcher uh, for Israel. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the WBC. Um, you know, put what is it the, the limit in uh, the the, the uh, qualifying pool stuff was six, 65 pitches. So I mean, there's different things that are in place. And at the end of the day, I mean, look if you know if Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander wanted to go pitch, and shame on them for not uh, to represent their country. And if you know who whatever the the representative from the Mets was to you know would say, hey, you know Mark DeRosa, look man. I don't mind if you use these guys, and I know that the the the, the limit is 65. We only really want them thrown about 40, you know, because guess what? That's probably what they would have thrown in spring training anyway. So I think that. Well, Buck Showalter had uh, Buck Showalter had meetings with them before the you know uh, before it started, and uh, said they had to protect them. And he winds up losing well, a pitcher anyway, but uh, yeah, but I think know. I think my the the term my wife would use is cockamon. That's BS. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I saw a, uh, a seven-inning no-hitter last night, JV high school game. That was a, a thing of beauty. And uh, the, the, uh, now, if, uh, you know, if you go on this app, uh, what is it, Game Changer? I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with it, Doug. Uh, it's awesome. You that's, use that's it? That's what we use. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, Don, that's something that uh, I'll, I'll explain to you and, and get you set up. But it's really uh, interesting because yeah. uh, we I, we don't know I forget whether they change pitchers you know because if you get like twenty pitching number twenty and then you go to twenty one are you really paying attention to the opposing pitcher other than he's well, throwing the, strikes and he's uh, got a no hitter sure. that's it well, but the, they have over reason, seventy pitchers right the big reason why that. Um, we'll say that amateurs use uh, that app um, is because it typically you assign a parent or, or coach or someone to uh, input the amount of pitches that right. are thrown because at each yeah. age level, obviously that's uh, potentially stressful for those guys. And um, you need to pay attention to that kind of stuff for sure. Yeah. So we got to leave it right there. Doug, thank you once again. We have more things to get to. We just don't have the time. Roger, great to be with us. Everybody had a a great night tonight. Our commander in chief is ready to take over the controls. Frank Carroll, it's in your hands. You have a great week, Frank. God bless. Thank you, everybody, for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces. And then when police and fire services, when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. They're doing a great job of really trying to keep everybody happy. Not everybody in uniform is a bad guy. There are some rotten apples, but in every, every life, that's the way it goes. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Tolkett, <clears throat> Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yaslitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger. Hello. Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, yeah, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Tarpon Springs Patrol Officer Charlie Condit, 
Deputy Chief Mike Gavin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anapa Chris from Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Matt, I'm sorry, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikes, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Alho, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrave, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department and Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
Thanks, Bob. We love you and we miss you. Thank you.